what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films, film reviews and discussion from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. Do you enjoy seeing interesting movies that you may not see anywhere else? Taking part in discussions about those films and live in Western North Carolina? Then you need to come be a part of the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films for November 2011. I am Alan and with me is Chris. Hello. Chris, how are you doing today, bud? Doing good. Good. Ready to talk about some movies? Of course. All always. right. Well, here's what we've got on tap for today. First off, we're going to be hitting our main feature review, which is the film Project NIM. We'll be discussing in a moment. Followed by that, we're going to be talking over some movie news, a couple of items of interest in the movie uh, production industry, some interesting film ideas we want to talk about uh, from a news standpoint. Then we'll be moving on at the end to each of us giving our film recommendation for the month. This is a film that's either can be a new film, can be an old film, doesn't matter. Just something we think you ought to be checking out. So with, without further ado, how about let's go ahead and jump right into our main feature review, the documentary Project NIM. I thought, wouldn't it be exciting to communicate with a chimp? and find out what it was thinking. So why not teach him sign language? And that's essentially why I started Project Nim. I know nothing about chimpanzees. Herb wanted me to take Nim into my home as if he were a child. The fact that we could share language with an animal seemed very radical at that time. There was no family discussion. It was just, oh, we're having a chimp. We're going to teach a sign language. Nobody in the house really was fluent in sign language. So with the documentary Project Nim, this is a, the follow-up. I'm not even going to say it's the second film because I know he's done several other films. But the director of the documentary Man on Wire, which is the one where uh, he's probably gotten the most recognition lately. But James Marsh, documentarian as well as he produces some uh, and directs some dramatic films as well. So it's not just documentary films he makes. Hmm. Man on Wire, Chris, I know you were a fan of this film yes, uh, that fan. came out a couple of years ago. Uh, did win Best Documentary, I believe, mm-hmm. at the Oscars uh, two years ago, back 2009? Actually, 2008, I think. Okay, so even yeah. farther back. So this is his film, Project Nim. And it's a documentary that takes place uh, primarily with a story that happened back in the 70s. And this has to do with a group of researchers who decide, uh, wisely or unwisely, to try to raise a chimpanzee in a human environment to see what the effects would be on that chimpanzee. With a real focus on the language, trying to get the chimpanzee to have human-like communications and dialogue or be able to share thoughts and opinions with the humans it resided with. Being a documentary, obviously you're going to have the facts and you're going to have the story and you're going to have some level of conflict to make it an interesting story. We've got all of that going on in this documentary. For sure. Uh, we definitely have some emotion. We definitely have a lot of facts and information. And a lot of this film is carried by interviews. So very little, I don't think any overhead narration. I mean, this is all driven by the interviews that were conducted for this documentary. Am I right in saying that? I don't remember there being any right. narrator uh, so, right. talking through facts at all. This is truly everything was done through the voice of those people interviewed for the documentary. Right. Okay. So with that, whenever we review a documentary, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting animal in itself in that 
you can review it from a subject matter standpoint, how it made you feel about the topic and the subject, and you can look at it from a film standpoint, how well it was put together, how well it was made. So let's tackle the film side first, Chris. We're not getting into the subject matter and, and how it was presented. But from a documentary, and especially comparing it to Man on Wire, how did this work as a documentary film to you? Well, I, I felt like they had to do some, in every well, not every documentary, but in many documentaries, there are recreation segments. Yes. And in Man on Wire, um, they had them there as well. But um, I didn't feel like they were as weighted as the ones in this um, documentary were that showed different aspects of the story. I felt like these were a little bit more kind of heavy handed the way they were portrayed. And I didn't really like that. I felt like basically the director kind of tipped his hand pretty early on, actually kind of in the first scene as far as where his intentions were as far as how to make you feel and how to interpret what was happening and I didn't, I would say that that's probably one of my hangups about the film is that I felt like sometimes he was putting his opinion. I mean, everybody has an opinion. And when mm-hmm. you're a documentarian, and you're a director, your opinion is probably still going to show through. Sure. But I was surprised at how it showed through. Whereas in Man on Wire, I feel like it was pretty, pretty open. Cutting. There wasn't really an opinion right. there. You know, it wasn't. And, it was uh, just telling what happened and yeah, it helping just, illustrate it what happened. It was documenting as opposed to documenting and commenting. And so I okay, felt like so you felt like on, this film was was a little bit of yes, it was documenting to some degree, but it was putting a lot more opinion in there. Yes. To 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 kind of sway that a bit. Yeah. Now what you were referring to about some of these stage pieces, I guess for those that may not be too familiar with documentaries in general, you know, obviously with a documentary you want everything footage wise and everything mm-hmm. to be as factual and as real as possible. Right. But of course they were not recording every single thing that happened back in the 1970s on film. Correct. So for some scenes where they really wanted to help show what was going on at that time, they did have to recreate some scenes. They were minimal. I agree. They were pretty minimal, but the ones that they did use were somewhat impactful and very, uh, set an emotional tone. And like you had mentioned, they were narrated, but they were narrated by somebody's interview. So it wasn't like this, you know, ambiguous narrator was somebody retelling the story and then you would see scenes of it happening, yeah. unfolding. Well, and with the story itself, obviously they're, they're documenting this experiment, this research project that involved a young chimpanzee. And, uh, you know, they showed both the highs and the lows of this experiment and where it ended up in the end. And we're not going to spoil endings of it to know how it ended for anybody involved. But there's a lot of people that came into contact with this, this animal mm-hmm. and with the project over the years. Uh, I do believe it looks like they did a pretty good job of getting a good cross section of the people involved in the project. I thought, uh, you know, as far as the different stages of time that the research project went through, they got some good representation throughout those years and were able to get some good candid interviews with everybody. But in itself, kind of going to what your comment about how it still was very opinionated about the director's feelings toward the subject. Right. Uh, I do feel like that the one or two people that maybe we are to perceive as somewhat of the bad guy mm-hmm. in this film uh, were edited to very much look like the bad guy in this film, where all of the good people that we were supposed to cheer for had a lot more uh, positive impact on the film and were portrayed in a much more of a positive light. That's probably going to happen with any documentary when you interview people. If you as a, as a filmmaker kind of know your angle already, you're going to subconsciously pick some of the worst pieces and to profile the 
people you think as the villains and some of the better pieces to profile the, the people you think are the heroes. Right. Uh, so it's a little bit of, it's a subjective nature of documentaries, but I do think this one started to venture a little more into that opinionated territory than maybe I had wanted it to. Sure. Uh, beyond that part of the film, Chris, from uh, a, a technical standpoint, the use of the shots, the use of archival footage, uh, the editing itself. Uh, what did you think about some of that? Um, the setup of the interviews was was good. I liked the way they, depending on where the story was going with the character, not character, but the person they were interviewing, they would kind of come in and show the person and the person would talk and then they would kind of go away, pull back and go away. And it kind of symbolized them coming into Nim, the monkey or chimpanzee's life, and then them disappearing or fading out from his life. So that, that was an interesting technique. Um, I, I like say the, I like the use, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I like the use of also when each person was interviewed, they actually were looking at the camera right before their interview and did sign language of their name. Right. Almost just a verbal cue. That's how they communicate with the chimpanzee. So we get a little bit of that tie in with the audience as well. I thought it was a nice technical touch to it. Yeah. Yeah. And the use of, um, the graphics that they would use to explain how many words the chimp was learning mm-hmm. and everything. That was some nice infographic work there. Um, Kind of commenting, though, some, and there again, (laughs) uh, the commentary that the director seemed to be making on how he would light certain people, Mm -hmm. and uh, that I did not like. Um, And actually, there's an example of a person who is, when he's first shown, is kind of lit unflatteringly, and he looks like an evil person. Right. And then you come to find out that this person actually in the end is more helpful than you would have thought. Yes. And I, I guess you want to make a film entertaining, but for my value, especially in a documentary, just let everything be, you know, shoot everyone the same, treat everybody, yeah. try to be as impartial as possible. And that was an example of getting back to where I, I felt like, but you know, in general camera technique, the graphics I liked, um, I remember not being that, I felt like the music at sometimes not editing the shots, but editing of the music was a little, over the top. Oh, really? It was a little heavy handed. Mm. Yeah. To make you feel certain things. I don't really remember points. the music. And I guess that's a, for me, that was that a good thing a good is thing. that for a documentary, I don't really want to remember the music unless right. it was part of the archival footage. Right. Because I feel like music you throw in generally with the idea of trying to create a certain emotion with your audience. And that's the last thing I want a documentary to do. Right. I want to be able to form my own opinions by watching it. So I don't remember the music. So I guess that was a good thing for me. Mm. Um, I personally, I, I was okay with the film. I'm not going to say I loved it. I'm not going out and recommending it to a lot of friends and, and family that enjoy documentaries. But I do think there's something of value here. Um, I think the story itself, which we, you know, we can talk about the, the actual subject matter just briefly. But you know, the, I think the, the, the concept itself, the storyline, I thought was interesting. Uh, that's probably more of a personal thing for me. I'm very fascinated by these experiments to try to make to try to tap into animal communication and find out how we're like humans or not like humans. So in general, I was already bought into the subject matter. Mm -hmm. Um, My beef with the film is it just didn't really tell me a lot of things I didn't already know. It didn't really help. It didn't dig as deep as I would have liked for it to into the actual training and teaching of the chimpanzee. But I also don't think that was the director's intent. I think the director was really trying to make a more of an intent to talk about to comment on humans and human I, behavior definitely. than he ever had any desire to talk about chimpanzees and how they communicate and how we can learn to communicate with them better. Well, and apparently I did a little bit of research on 
kind of the outcomes of this experiment and how people interpret it in the scientific world. And apparently a lot of the research is still very highly contested as far as what they proved, what they didn't prove, their motives behind. So it's apparently very, I don't know, up in the air as far as what was actually determined. So, yeah, I think for that reason, the director didn't really go into too much the how they were doing things. They're just kind of showing these people. And it definitely provides more of a record of people trying to accomplish certain goals Mm -hmm. and how they go about doing so, their motives. And it shows more about people than it does about monkeys and whether or not they can really talk. I thought hubris was kind of the topic of the day. It's just uh, those people who felt like they were uh, doing things and, and wanted to do it for their own personal glory or because of the recognition it gave them or their own personal satisfaction and not necessarily thinking about how it affected others, uh, how it affected the animal even to some degree. Um, I mean, there were a lot of, there was a family in particular, you know, if anybody who's seen the film or you'll see it pretty early on in the film. I mean, one of the first families to keep this, this baby, uh, you know, I think the, I think the family itself had its own issues to begin with, let alone throwing a chimpanzee in the mix, um, you know, from that standpoint. So that was just kind of interesting to begin with. And to me, bringing in that chimpanzee offering to be part of that research project showed more about their, their need for, uh, self-recognition than it was uh, of really doing the right thing for each other and for this animal. So you commented on how you liked, or you felt like they got a pretty good cross section of people that had interactions with this chimp throughout the whole time Mm -hmm. span that they were documenting actually not during the film, but afterwards when I started to kind of process what I'd seen, I wish that they would have had more people from the family. Well, yes, Um, because they had a daughter and they had the mom, but it was a, fairly large it was a large family they didn't touch on any of the the father role or stepfather role in this which i don't know if he's deceased or i don't know i don't know and i i wish i wish i would have known because i think some of that aspects because it was just very one-sided yes it was you had a lot of researcher versus the guy who started the project you had a lot of those dynamics going on like differing opinions but as far as someone removed you only had the daughter i guess basically Mm -hmm. right and um i would have liked for more I could have seen that. I could have seen that. Sure. Overall, I thought it was an adequate documentary. Just, I was let down after how wonderful men on wire it was. Mm -hmm. And I'm a, I'm a large, I'm a big fan of documentaries in general. And this one was just a very average documentary. I think it portrayed a, a story. It told us the pertinent information. It didn't go much deeper than it needed to. Um, and it did bring a lot more, uh, opinion, into the mix than I think I'd like to see in a, in a documentary in general, but definitely from a technical standpoint, very well made, well made, you know, well crafted yes. and well made. It's just, yeah, I think we're kind of on the same page that I would have preferred for a little more meat to the documentary. a little more meat and a little less opinion. I guess that's what we were looking for in general with that. In our previous review, granted it was based on a novel, so it was fiction, but it recounted a little bit of a true event. Sarah's key. You mentioned how you would have preferred to see a documentary mm-hmm. of that as opposed to, you know, a fictitious movie made out from a novel with this, it was based on a book that this woman wrote about the whole project NIM process. Um, having seen this documentary, do you think it was good that they went ahead and made a documentary and didn't try to, you know, make a movie based on a book and all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, the thing is though, comparing this documentary project NIM to what could have been a more dramatic interpretation of the book, I wouldn't have seen a whole lot of difference because mm. I really think a dramatic See, that actually tells me that that's coming down really harsh on the documentary. Then, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, because you could have made a dramatic film out of this with oh, actors yeah. and, and it would have conveyed the same level of emotion. It would have conveyed the same level of information. I thought 
as the documentary did mm-hmm. where I wish this documentary had gone is a little deeper into truly some of the, the ramifications, some of the impact, some of the training that was going through and how it affected people a little bit deeper mm-hmm. than what we saw as it is now. You could have probably swapped this with a dramatic interpretation and it would have given me no more or less right. information on the story. Right. Where Sarah's key, where we talked about, yes, I think a documentary would have handled that better Without in my mind to learn about that situation than what we got in that dramatic interpretation. So right. anyway, yeah, mm-hmm. but more than anything, I think the book is probably still the way to go for this one. Sure. Because I think the book is probably going to go into a lot more detail about this than, uh, than, than we got in the film. Right now. Uh, have you seen rise of the planet of the apes? No, which, you know, when I looked at things online, people were kind of making references. Well, it was just interesting. They both came out at the same time. Very similar theme, of course, one in a science fiction, more dramatic interpret, uh, more Hollywood style film versus the documentary. I'm just, I thought it was interesting. They both came out about the same time and the reviews were actually, I think a little bit better for rise of the planet of the apes than they were for this documentary, if that tells <laughs> you anything. So yeah, huh. interesting situation. Uh, overall project Nim, adequate documentary, but sure. nothing really to write home about. Not anything we were terribly impressed with, but a good serviceable documentary about a very interesting story. I will give it that as a, very interesting subject matter and topic for me, at least. So that's director jo- uh, James Marsh's Project Mim. Uh, still making some uh, circuits with theater screenings right now. So. Should be on DVD, and I would imagine probably Netflix here in the next uh, maybe four to five months as well. So I encourage you to check it out if you're at all interested. And it sounds like this is something that might fit your interest. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back in a moment with some movie news and our recommendations of the month. Stay tuned. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Hello, and welcome back to Foot Candle Films. Uh, now that we're through our main review part of the show, we like to toss out a few headlines, some things we stumble across uh, through the World Wide Web regarding some upcoming films or movie-related news. And a lot of times I have fun with this, and then I, we like to pick out items that we have not told each other about yet, so I always like to get kind of initial reactions from Mr. Chris Fry. Surprises. So, Chris, let me just fire away at okay. the news items, and you tell me what you think, and we'll bounce around some ideas there. Okay. First one has to do with the director I know you're a big fan of, Steven Soderbergh. Ah. Okay, so what uh, he has a film coming out fairly soon here. It's being promoted called Haywire. You familiar with it at all? No. Okay. He just did Contagion, which I haven't had a chance to see. Just did Contagion. And this is for somebody who supposedly was going to retire a while back. Well, he's definitely Mm -hmm. not retiring. I'm going to list off all the projects he's got coming up pretty soon. But the one coming out soon called Haywire. This is going to be interesting. It's an action movie. Okay. And it stars uh, a person called Gina Serrano, which the fact that I probably didn't pronounce her name right means that I do not follow uh, worldwide fighting competitions because she is an authentic fighter. She Uh, fights in competitions. She is the star of this action movie. Uh, Okay. Also stars Channing Tatum and Michael Fassbender. Okay. So it is a true thriller action movie. She is basically either a hitman or somebody who has to extract revenge on some people. And it's a lot of, from the trailer, it's a lot of kicking and fighting and all that. <laughs> very different for a Steven Soderbergh film, yeah. but I'm still very curious, especially with Michael Fassbender in it. Um, Michael Fassbender, I'm still 
huge fan of right now. I loved him in X-Men First Class. I mm-hmm. uh, really liked him in Glorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Small um, role, but still good. Small role, yeah. but very, very, very good role. Yeah. Um, and he's been in a few other pieces, a few other things I think he did extraordinarily well. So having him in a Soderbergh film, I'm yeah. very curious with that one. Hmm. Now, if you remember, Soderbergh kind of did the same thing with uh, – uh, bringing in a porn star yep. to star in uh, the girlfriend experiment. Experiment, right? Yeah. So bringing in a non-actress. Well, okay, maybe some form of actress, but not right. necessarily the kind of actress we're nor- normally seeing in films. Sure. And putting her into a very dramatic role uh, where she's required to act. Here we've got someone who, from what I can tell, has not done any acting other than maybe some bit small parts. Hmm. But she is known as a professional fighter in a, a world fighting circuit. So hmm. uh, interesting choices. Once again, any thoughts, any uh, curiosities there for you? Is that well, I'm, pique your interest? I would not have been interested in seeing if you would have just described the movie and not said anything about the director. I'd have been like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of done with that whole Jason Bourne, which I liked those okay. But, I, you know, in general, right. action movie with, like, people going around kicking stuff, things blowing up, that doesn't right. really appeal to me. Sure. However, Steven Soderbergh involved, I'll probably at some point see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems as if he's doing his first experiment with doing, like, non-actors and anything was Bubble, which yes. I really liked mm-hmm. a lot. Um, then he did um, – he did the girlfriend experiment. I think he did maybe one other thing before that where he did like non-traditional stuff, but definitely girlfriend experiment was mm-hmm. a non-traditional act. I never saw that. Um, but I'm, I'm interested. I guess maybe that's how he's keeping himself energized so that he still wants to make movies. Yeah. He's kind of like challenging himself to do like non-traditional things. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm interested. What's your favorite Soderbergh film? Um, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, the limey maybe. Really? Yeah. Okay. I really like that. Nice. I mean, you know, the oceans movies or at least the first two, the first one was fine. Um, we're good. Um, I don't, I don't know. No, I just, out of sight is my favorite. Oh, I still yeah, love yeah, out of sight, yeah. out I mean, of sight I, with uh, George Clooney and, uh, Jennifer Lopez. Very, very good movie. So, yeah, I mean, I actually, I, you know, he's one of those directors that I like his work. I know he does, but he's not, I wouldn't list him as like a favorite, you know, so yeah. all of his movies just kind of fall into be about the same. Like yeah. I really like Solaris too. Oh yeah. That was good. That um, was good. even though it was a remake, sure. but, um, not as good as the original, but still. So yeah. I don't know. Well, let me, let me just tell you this. You mentioned contagion being his last film. He's actually right. got two more. No, I'm sorry. Three more. Wow. Already in production. Oh yeah. He's, he's retiring. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Well, here's the deal. You're a little bit of a connection with one of the other shows on the mesh. Now, I think they mentioned this movie upcoming, uh, which I didn't make the connection. Mm-hmm. They described a male stripper movie starring Channing, Channing Tatum in the Chick Chat show a couple yeah. months ago. That's a Soderbergh film huh? called Magic Mike. And that is uh, Steven Soderbergh's directing a film starring Channing Tatum about his role as a male stripper. It's- also with... Uh, What's the bongo guy's name? Uh, oh, um, uh, Days of Confused. The, uh, Matthew McConaughey is also in it. So, that's, so is, is Channing Tatum becoming the new um, George Clooney? George Clooney yeah, it could for be. Silver, I don't know. Maybe? That's oh, one film. Uh, he's doing a new updated version of The Man from Uncle. Hmm. And here's one I find fascinating: a movie about Liberace, starring okay. Michael Douglas. Wow. Yeah. That actually could be pretty genius casting. Could be. So I'm very curious. Uh, those are the three right now listed huh. as in production attached to Steven Soderbergh as director. Yep. Now, I anything go, could change. I may go ahead and say, mm-hmm. if that Liberace thing happens, yeah. 
I think Michael Douglas might win an Oscar for yeah. it. I'm Although go, I'm curious, I'm I, I know I'm speculating a lot here yeah, of just knows? what of, of one happen, little note but. I saw about on IMDb about production work. But my my question is, if you're going to do a film about Liberace, well, obviously Michael Douglas can't play yeah. Liberace younger. He can only really play him, I would imagine, at the current age. You know, he is. Right. I don't know. I'd be surprised if they're going to have different actors playing different stages of his life. Maybe could be or maybe yeah. they're just going to talk about later in life or it'll be like he's, he's reflecting back ever could so. be huh right. yeah there again a lot of speculation you know i have seen Sp- soderbergh films where he has signed on to do it and then he pulls he's out and out. changes and so anything's possible but right was, now those are three coming up on his slate was he originally going to do moneyball yes he was okay he was going to do moneyball the baseball movie he was signed on to do that and then changed gears he backed out. uh yes so that okay. was going to be his project with brad pitt for a while hmm. anyway Steven Soderbergh, we're done with that part of the news. Next, uh, let's flip-flop a little bit. This is not about a film, but it is film-related, and I'm very anxious to hear your opinions. The Oscars, Mm -hmm. the big film ceremony of the Oscars. Well, there's been a little brouhaha lately with the hosting situation. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. A little bit. Uh, Supposedly, they had Eddie Murphy lined up to host the Oscars, which I was ecstatic about because I'm I'm a big Eddie Murphy uh, apologist, I feel like one day Eddie Murphy is going to get back on top in the comedy world, and I keep waiting for that day to happen. And his, he has a movie out, right? He has a movie out called Tower Heist, which is doing right. okay. And it seems like it's probably a little closer to form for him, back to more of that a little more outrageous comedy and a little more sassy character type As of thing. As opposed to like Nutty Professor and Dr. No, it's not a kid's movie. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So I was excited. I thought maybe this year is Eddie Murphy's year to get back in the limelight. He's making <laughs> another comedy movie that's more adult themed. He hosts the Oscars and gets to do stand up, which we've yeah. never seen. We have not seen Eddie Murphy do stand up in time. years. Yeah. So I was all excited. Brett Ratner, who is his director for Tower Heist, the film oh, he just did. Okay, I didn't And know he was a Brett Ratner also does the, did the Rush Hour movies and mm-hmm. a bunch of other movies that I don't care for. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of Brett Ratner. Well, Brett Ratner was going to be the producer of the Oscar ceremony. Ah. Brett Ratner said some inappropriate things in a public forum recently uh, regarding people's sexuality and some derogatory terms towards that. Got lambasted for that. So he has stepped down now as producer, and alongside being stepped down, Eddie Murphy bailed out also as host of the Oscars. Ah. So I'm a little let down by that. Yeah. In resolution here, guess he's coming back to host it now. I think I heard Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal's back hosting the Oscars this year. So thoughts, opinions, do you care at all? Well, I do. Um, I mean, because I do watch it. So, you know, I wish... I think Eddie Murphy probably would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, last year I felt like, I don't know, Billy Crystal, I think he's, he's very capable. You know, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of, I've seen him do it so many times, I'm kind of you know, tired of seeing Didn't, at one point, didn't Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin host it together? They did. They hosted yeah. it together uh, two years ago. Okay, I wish they could do that again. Because yeah. I think that was, you know, it's enough break because you have two different people. Whereas, you know, last year they were trying to pull in the younger audience. I didn't think that really last worked. Last year didn't work. Last year was hard. No. Yeah. Um, so... You know, well, you know, actually, if a host would just say up front, I really am going to keep this telecast short, I'd like it no matter what they did, even if they were very boring and didn't do any jokes. You know, yeah. I just, I'd appreciate that. It is more. a long show. It it's is. a very long show. We always have a good time, or at least we did last year and we will again this year, our film society here in, in uh, the Western North Carolina. 
Uh, we actually go to a local restaurant and watch the Oscars together mm-hmm. up on a big screen and talk about it in between breaks and all that. So I look forward to it. It's fun. It's kind of for movie geeks. It's our Super Bowl in a way. And you know, it's True. got its problems, just like the Super Bowl. It's way too long, way too many advertisements, way too many parts of the show that don't work. But it's still you're pulling for the best film and the best director to get out there and, and, and do some good stuff. So, you know, we have fun with it. Uh, I just was kind of curious about that. There's some news there from the Oscar world. So come uh, early next year, it looks like we'll be seeing Mr. Crystal once again taking over as host on the Oscars and uh, see how that goes. All right. Third item. And on the news side, I've got uh, Ryan Johnson. I know you're a, you and I are both big fans of Brick. You actually gave the Brothers Bloom his second film mm-hmm. as your recommendation in yeah. one of our earlier episodes, which I wholeheartedly agree with. I love that film as well. So he has his, his third film coming out soon. Do you know anything about this? It's called Looper. Yeah. And the only reason I know something about it is because it's the plot line sounded a little bit similar to Primer. Yes. And I think, did you even mention this when you were talking about Primer last month? I don't know if you did or not, but yeah, it's very similar. And that's actually why I wanted to bring it up because you mentioned Primer as your your pick, a time travel movie last month. Well, this is another time travel film starring Bruce Willis. Hmm. And it also has a Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the younger version of Bruce Willis's character. Supposedly there is a, yeah, there's a time travel element where people from the future travel back in time and there's something to do with hitmen who are charged with picking off these people as they come back from the future. And if you don't, something bad happens. Ah. It sounds like a very convoluted, complex time travel plot. However, awesome. terribly excited. Ryan Johnson, if you have not seen Brick, his first uh, directorial uh, film, you need to go check that out. Mm-hmm. Not only did it star Joseph Gordon-Levitt and kind of a breakout role for him, Definitely. turning him into a real serious actor, but it was just a really cool movie. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a noir film set in a high school, modern day high school environment, right. uh, with all the cliches you get from a typical, uh, film noir film. It was just, it was great. It was a really good film. Actually, you were the one that kind of turned me on to wanting to see that. And we saw good. it together. Yeah. And then brothers bloom, we showed at the foot candle film society a couple of years ago. And that was also, I thought a great film. Mm-hmm. So looper, I'm terribly excited. Sounds like he's kind of ratcheting it up a little bit. Each film he does mm-hmm. brick was very small, low budget. Uh, with very little known actors in it. Then you've got Brothers Bloom with some better known actors and a little more budget. Now, I'd imagine with Bruce Willis, now Joseph Gordon-Levitt being a much bigger star, science fiction, time travel, it's it's definitely ratcheted up there. You know, I've heard him, which I, I heard that with Looper, I think he has Shane Carruth, who was, who was the writer and director of um, Primer. I think he's acting as like a he helped Ryan Johnson on the movie. You know, I think you mentioned that. I think you did mention and, that in last month's episode about and your so pick. I'm yeah. glad that from the more information you've given me about kind of the what seems to be the plot, it's not like they're doing a remake, which is awesome. But at least he's going to have Shane Carruth giving him kind of like interesting ideas mm. to incorporate into his movie. I think it. I think it sounds really, really, really good. And I'm interested to see Bruce Willis be in a good movie again. Mm. So. <laughs> Yeah, supposedly the title Looper, and this is just what I've been reading online. It talks the Looper refers to hitmen who have been contracted by gangsters like thirty years or more off in the future. Okay, okay, where time travel has been banned. Mm. It exists, but it's been banned. So it's a so looper, it's yeah. to dispose of people where no one would possibly know to look for them. In other words, the Loopers hang out in these back alleys and other places, and they wait for their quarry to come in, ah. and then they blast them the wow. second they materialize and. 
yeah, already it's giving me a headache even thinking through it. Time travel movies typically give me big migraines to think through. But uh, this does sound really interesting, though. What would you think? It seems to me like Ryan Johnson, in the three movies he's made, he made kind of a noir movie but made it in high school. Okay, so that was his first movie. Then he made Brothers Bloom, which was like a heist movie. But yet he kind of put his own little spin on it, made it a fun heist movie, kind of like a comedy, yet it was a heist movie. I guess yeah. in a way like Ocean's Eleven, but still yeah. very different. A little it more quirky, this, though. Yeah, a little quirky. And then with this movie, it's like he's putting his own spin on sci-fi movies. Yes. Kind of reminds me of what, when I guess you could still say it does it, Quentin Tarantino, how he, you know, he made a crime picture with Reservoir Dogs, but he put his own kind of spin on it. He did a karate movie, Kill Bill, but he put his own little. He made a World War II movie, but mm-hmm. with uh, Inglorious yeah, Bastards. So, still. yeah, it's interesting that two directors that I really like, and I just hope that Ryan Johnson. He hasn't hit the big one yet, no. though. I wonder if this one with Bruce Willis, well, you could throw, be his big one. You know, Bruce Willis is very hit or miss. I mean, uh, some of his films are just horrible and tank really bad, and others are big hits. And uh, you make it a sci-fi movie about time travel, which I think a lot of people kind of get into these days. So. Yeah. Uh, this could be the one. I don't know. Uh, I'd be very anxious to see with that. So, what's do you know the release on? It's just sometime in 2012. Yeah, I do. I don't know the release date. That's a very good question. I, I probably should have looked that up. But the intern um, should have checked that out. I know we, we're going to have to. Fire to we're going to have to really Man. talk to them about that. That was that's a real shame. <laughs> no, I don't have that. I apologize. <laughs> So we'll keep an eye out for that. So already in our news, you heard us talk about a few films that you may want to check out there, Listening World. Uh, Haywire is coming up from Steven Soberberg, along with maybe some other interesting films in the future. And then we've got Looper coming out, but we do recommend still go back and check out Brick and Brothers Bloom Definitely. to see more of the Ryan Johnson filmography. So, all right. So we're done with some news now. Let's, uh, let's jump on into our recommendations, if that works for you. Sure. Chris, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. I'm um, very excited about hearing you talk about this one. Yeah, Alan knows. He saw, he saw my I saw your name notes. on the table. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the one I'm going to recommend. Now, I would not recommend this for everyone. Let me go <laughs> ahead and just uh, say that out front because the film is definitely – I don't even know if the version I saw is rated or not. It's, it's Red State. Right. We're getting late, boys. She wants all three of us. At the same time. This is what happens to parents block porn sites, man. They make socially backwards kids. Bet you boys want to get up to the devil's business, don't you? So get drinking, because I ain't drinking alone. Guys, is that, uh, is that you, Travis? Welcome, family. Good evening. Good evening, Grandpa. I hate the wickedness in America. Rampant fornication, adultery, abortion, flagrant sexuality. Everywhere. Kevin Smith's Red State. Red okay. State by Kevin Smith. This is yeah. the same Kevin Smith doing Mall Rats and yeah. Clerks mm-hmm. and Silent Bob, all of that. All that stuff. Um, and he kind of interestingly enough, kind of like Soderbergh at one point has said, I think actually this movie was the one he said, okay, um, he had trouble getting distribution because of the subject matter, which we'll get to that in a second. And he was like, okay, this is my last movie. He was going to kind of walk away and mm-hmm. not be a director anymore. But now, supposedly, he is planning at least heard, one or two movies. I heard movies. one more right now. So, um, a, a hockey movie. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so let me just briefly touch on what this movie's about. Um, and it's, it's interesting because, like you mentioned, Kevin Smith's prior movies, they kind of 
center around a same group of people like teenagers making smart ass comments and that kind of thing. And it's very mm-hmm. slice of life type movies. Um, this movie is more or less, it's a horror movie. It's okay. a thriller slash horror movie. Interesting. Um, yeah. For him to do a movie like that. And also there's not a lot of, in Kevin Smith movies are always like very topical references and like clever dialogue. None of that here. Um, it's it's just you wouldn't know it's a Kevin Smith movie. And the use of camera work in this movie is very interesting. They do a lot of kind of like the Spike Lee where the camera's sitting on a person. They're running down a hallway. Mm. The person's still because the camera's latched onto them. But behind them, the background's all shaky. All right. A lot of that kind of stuff going on. Um, but anyways, the plot centers around there are three guys who are on the Internet. And it's kind of like an American Pie slash Porky type thing where they're like they're in high school and they want to go have their first sexual experience. So they get on the internet, they find this woman, they're like, oh, okay, cool. And they like, suppose they're going to go meet her. Well, unfortunately for them, this woman is part of a more or less kind of a cult that captures people and then tortures them or does that. And so and that's why I don't let my kids on Facebook. Right. <laughs> so it's an interesting, <laughs> and so then the rest of the movie is them trying to escape and what kind of happens with, within this like very, 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 very religious cult type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the movie kind of has this, it's kind of done in two parts where there's that whole aspect to it, the religious cult aspect and these guys running around scared, trying to escape. And then there's the whole attack or siege that happens with the, uh, ATF kind of like a Waco, Texas type thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just interesting to see him go into this area of thought and filmmaking just to see him do a horror movie. And I, I, I recommend it, but like I say, it has a lot of violence, a lot of gore, a lot right. of language, not for, you know, young people. Um, and then again, if you don't like this type of movie, don't bother. But if you're interested in Kevin Smith and you've seen his other stuff, it's just really interesting to see how he's, he's, uh, decided to do this. And I will say, uh, there's Michael Parks is he's was in Tarantino's I think he was in Tarantino's Kill Bill. He's been in a couple other things. Okay. He is the preacher right in this movie. If I had my way, which the Academy does not listen to me, he would be nominated for best actor. So despite um, all your letters you write to the Academy yeah, they every just, day, they, they still continue not to throw them no, in the trash or yeah. hopefully recycle them. Right. But um <laughs> yeah, Michael Parks was amazing as this as this preacher. He has to deliver and there again, it's not a very Hollywood movie because he delivers like pretty much an unbroken 10 or 15 minute quote unquote sermon. Yeah. And it is amazing. And I think he's absolutely riveting in it. Wow. And so for that to be done, you, you just don't see that type of thing. And, you know, he basically is a little bit unhinged, to put hmm. it lightly. But the way he delivers it and the menace he's able to bring to it is amazing. I so, mean, to me, it's akin to uh, Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards, really? like the kind of domination that guy you see him on camera in glorious bastards christopher waltz and you're like okay that guy wow he's good he's creepy good you know he's just like and you and sure enough he ended up getting an oscar and you're like well yeah he deserves it i doubt because this film didn't get a lot of distribution i saw it on like on demand or netflix or whatever but it's in itunes and everything um not a lot of people saw it Mm -hmm. so for that reason alone he won't get any recognition but he was really Wow. Good. So Jay and Silent Bob do not appear in this nope. film. Nope. Nope. Which now, is a, no. I heard John Goodman's in the film, but he doesn't play Silent Bob. No. no. Okay. And All John right. Goodman, um, he's good anyway. You yeah. know, he's a, he's a good actor, but for him, this was kind of a, to me, it felt kind of a strange role. It was a very everyman role, which I guess John Goodman does, but in a way, he, a lot of times when he does characters, they seem to be a little bigger, like a yeah. little bit slightly larger than right. life, even though they are everyman characters. Mm-hmm. This guy was very, 
just normal and mm. very understated. And I, Goodman does a really good job. And Melissa Leo, right. who is in The Fighter and won yes. an Oscar for that, she's in this. And not a, I mean, she, it's a pretty important role, but I don't know. It's kind of surprising how she didn't have a little bit more to do. But now, for Kevin she, Smith to get three, well, two, because, mm-hmm. you know, John Goodman and Melissa Leo two really big actors in uh, there. And Melissa Leo is coming off an Oscar win too right. for uh, Mystic River. Oh, uh, The Fighter. The Fighter. The fighter. So, no, she, she was, was nominated. Mom. Wasn't she in Mystic River also like or had been nominated in the past for that? I'm getting my movies <sighs> Could confused. Be. Could be. Anyway, no, you're right. She's Oscar winner. And yeah. For this to kind of be one of her follow-up films, that was a pretty good coup for Kevin Smith to get her, John Goodman, and uh, and to put out a pretty, I mean, what sounds like a very different film, which is I'm always in favor of directors doing something different. And here's here's the one kind of downside to the movie for me. I, I liked it. The ending was a little strange, and I don't want to ruin anything, so I won't go into much detail about it. But it was a little strange, and I kind of felt like it was very rushed. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you to the internet. I read what was supposedly going to be the original ending, and it would have been mind blowing wow. and it's a shame that they didn't I mean granted he had enough problems getting distribution anyway yeah. so I can kind of understand why he did what he did but it would have been just it would have been awesome and not your stereotypical yeah. ending to a movie so this is a fairly new film this is his most recent film but yet it's out on Netflix it didn't go to the theater circuit right because they didn't get distribution so it went straight to Netflix you can get it online Netflix right now yeah and it's in iTunes as well okay so, great and from right. what I understand I guess what he ended up doing was he actually went around to a couple of big cities. Somehow he missed Hickory, yeah. but it did like Chicago and big thing. And he actually would show the film and then do a Q and a afterwards. That would have been so fun. yeah, it didn't have distribution, but he like self distributed. Well, Mr. Smith, so, if you're interested, the foot candle film society meets once a month here in right. beautiful downtown Hickory, North Carolina. <laughs> we would love to have you bring your film and do a little Q and a afterwards. Sure, Open invitation. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. Uh, well, my film, gosh, I, I feel like we're just talking about some depressing films today on, ah. on today's show because Project Nim had its depressing moments yeah, uh, thematically. Uh, your film it's didn't kind of sound like a, yeah. an uplifting, bouncy, happy film. Mine probably is going to bring us rock bottom here, Uh-oh. I'm afraid. Uh, but staying with the theme of documentary from our feature, I wanted to try to pick out a documentary that I will say is one of my favorite documentaries, although it is one of the most uncomfortable Awkward things to watch, uh, hmm. I can imagine. It's called Capturing the Freedmans. We had a middle-class home, educated. Where did this come from? You would have to wonder what kind of a family situation could produce this kind of crime. They're gonna put me in the movie. I mean, I had no concept that this thing even exists in the world. For me to be so outraged, it was like someone's worst nightmare. They're harassing my father for no reason at all. We'll make the film about a man that's sad and Yeah, you've seen this. Uh, yeah. 2003 documentary. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, basically, it covers a family, the Freedmans, mother, father, and then three sons. And... What you start to learn is you find out more about this family. You learn about them, their dynamics, not a perfect family. They have their, their own issues, even between husband and wife. But then the husband, who is a, uh, you know, professor, a professor. he's yeah. a professor. He gets charged with child pornography, having child pornography, a computer or whatever it may be. He teaches computer classes down in the basement of his house right. to uh, young students. That starts an, uh, an investigation into him. 
that starts to bring up uh, charges of possible molestation of the children that attended his computer class. And then it starts to get into a lot. The, the, the documentary does a wonderful job of never giving you any clear answers because they don't know either. It's not like the documentarian is trying to cloud you on purpose. It's showing you how convoluted this case becomes because all of a sudden then one of the younger sons actually becomes implicated as being maybe possibly the aggressor actually doing some of the, the crime that his father is possibly taking the blame for or maybe not. We don't know. Hmm. You know, the subject matter itself is troubling, very, very disturbing to watch. But the way this documentary was made, I, I was just riveted from minute one. And as disturbed as I was by what I was hearing, the way the documentary progressed, you wanted to understand more of exactly what was happening within this family. Right. Because there was just so much conflict between them all, the husband and the wife. They got divorced later on. Uh, he had to go to prison, but you never really know if he went to prison for the right reasons or whether you know, his son got implicated in things. They're still questioned by the end of the film whether they did anything wrong at all, right. which I think is just – it's yeah. one of those – it's kind of like Thin Blue Line in a way uh, mm-hmm. about really questioning what had happened in the uh, the police procedure. There's a lot of fault dropped on all ends about whether the investigation was done properly or not. A lot of big questions, and it doesn't give you any clear resolution, but just to understand – what all was going on with this family? You see some actual home footage right. with this family, which is just heart-wrenching to watch at times. I just I, I love this documentary as a documentary. Mm-hmm. I despise it for what it covers and talks about and 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 has a see. Sure. But um just something if if you're into really looking at the human condition and the psychology of a family environment and, and police procedurals and what could go wrong in an investigation. This is a fascinating documentary to check into. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't know how recently you saw it, but I was just, they don't do any recreation stuff in that no, one, do they? No, yeah. I, I don't believe so. I right. don't remember anything It's not like all. Man on Wire or Project Nam where no. they have certain things that they read. They had photographs. It was a lot of interviews. Actually, I think the whole film was it- still interviews with family members and investigators and everybody else. Um, a lot of, I mean, they actually had some home video footage right. of the family, you know, that they shot. Supposedly their father shot a lot of home video. And, you know, that was one of those fortunate things where we have a lot of, it's just, I can't describe how disturbing it is to see home video of just a very, what seems like very happy, just joyous family. Mm-hmm. And then you start to hear all these allegations and the, the, the movie keeps you on your toes, not knowing which way you ought to feel. And I think the documentarian actually did a really good job of just playing it very fair. Right. It's like, here's the deal. Here's the story. Here's what the police say. Here's what the family says. Here's what their friends say. You kind of make it up on your own what you think happened truly here. And to me, that's the way you make a documentary. So uh, capturing the Freedmans, not for the faint of heart, not a very troubling subject matter, especially with all the things going on in the news these days, uh, you know, with some uh, um, sporting programs, you know, facing some allegations. It's a it's a troubling subject, but we are reviewing this as a film. And as a film, I think it's a very powerful, powerful document. Did it did it win an Oscar? I don't believe so. I don't even know if it was uh, nominated. I'm not even sure about that. Very interesting. Okay, well, I've just completely brought us down to about our bottom lowest emotional level here. But uh, Red State from Kevin Smith and Capturing the Freedmans. Uh, gosh, I don't even have the director's name pulled up right here. But uh, Capturing the Freedmans, check that out. You can look, uh, look that up as well. Two films we think you ought to check out if it sounds like something up your alley. 
So with that, I believe we're done for the month. Uh, yeah. yeah, good, good show. Good stuff to cover there. A few little ground rules we want to talk about, about uh, our network and the show here. Uh, we do encourage you to send us any feedback or thoughts you have about the show. We look forward to it. We've got an email address at info at themesh.tv. That's T-H-E mesh TV. Send an email. Say you're uh, uh, talking about foot candle films and let us know what your question is, suggestion, ideas for a show in the future. We'd love to hear that. We also have a phone number now that people can call 828-619-0048. That is a, a mesh line that you can call and leave a voice message for the mesh. If you leave a message, just say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm calling about Foot Candle Films, and either give us your question, your idea, suggestion. We would love to hear that voice message. It could be your 15 seconds of fame. That's right, and we'd love to play <laughs> it on a future episode, too, if you have a question or an idea that we can incorporate into the show. So that's 828-619-0048 to call the Mesh Line and to leave a voice message for Foot Candle Films or actually for any of our shows here on the Mesh Network. We do encourage you to check out more of the Mesh Network shows on themesh.tv, which is our website. And then we've also got uh, our site up on iTunes, which you can go to. And if you look on the featured providers on the right-hand side of the iTunes podcast store, you will see the Mesh. And you can actually view all of the shows that we have available on iTunes for download. And uh, give us some feedback. Give us some star ratings. Let us know what you think of any of the shows on the network. We always love to get that kind of feedback. Special thanks to you, Chris, for, as always, uh, being my co-pilot here on the show. And May Margaret Baker, our network manager, for keeping us in line and making sure we record when we're supposed to record. So <laughs> with that, we're going to close it out. Thanks for listening to Foot Candle Films. We'll look forward to meeting, uh, speaking with you next month. Take care. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. I had a couple little flubs, so if you know, if you want whatever tidying up you can do. You know do, what I so. forgot to mention when you mentioned the Oscar host? What's that? Did you know that, well, and I guess now that Billy Crystal's agreed to do it, it was already started before... Um, the whole Brett Ratner, Eddie Murphy thing happened. There was a campaign on Twitter and probably on Facebook, although I'm not on it, to get the Muppets to host the Oscars. True story. I think that would be awesome. <laughs>